Welcome to the Lifehouse Podcast. Our aim is that together we can love God, love others as we walk each step with Christ. We hope you find this message practical, encouraging and life-giving. Be blessed. So as we start uh, our part three of our Romans series today, I'm going to uh, ask Pastor Mark to come and, uh, and help me uh, this morning. Um, Mark doesn't know what he's helping me with or why he's up on the stage. Uh, but I know that Mark is committed to seeing people set free from burdens and different things, aren't you? You're, you're willing to do just about anything, aren't you, to, to bring home this point that Romans wants to, wants to make. And so this morning... There's one point that I want, one thing that I want to uh, teach you all, and uh, that is how to dance. Okay? So, Mark is going to try to get you to dance, and then I'm going to try to get you to dance, and uh, we'll see kind of who does it better. Does Does that sound good? So if you'd like to stand, all right, and then um, Mark, if you want to take center stage first up, and it uh, doesn't matter if you feel embarrassed, Mark is feeling a lot more embarrassed right now, and then I'm going to feel a lot more embarrassed, so uh, uh, if we can just uh, play Mark's song that he's going to uh, try and teach us all how to dance Plus, to. You know we're finally here, right? Well, we it's Friday then, it's Saturday, Sunday, what? Okay, it's Friday then, it's Friday, Sunday, what? It's Friday again, it's Thank you, Pastor Mark. You can, I think the uh, Life Kids Junior High, uh, I, I need my, uh, my next little prop there because now it's my turn to try and get you to dance. Um, and so I just need to explain this one. I, I didn't ever grow up with, with sisters. And so I was thinking back to the, uh, the first time that someone taught me how to dance. And I was over at my friend's place uh, who had a sister. And I didn't know how to treat sisters and stuff like that. Anyway, so we were there, and um, he was there with his uh, with his sister, and uh, his sister had a had a teddy bear. This is my teddy bear. This is this is Koki. Uh, this was this was my teddy bear. But she had a a a teddy bear uh, called Sunshine. And so then he taught me how to dance using this song. So if I can have have my song, I remember like last time, not many of you danced. Okay, so you've actually got to dance. You can't just watch me be silly up here, okay? You've actually got to dance, okay? You ready? All right, let's, let's crank it up a bit. All right, start dancing. Start dancing, Ivan. Come on.
what he taught me. I'm walking on All right. Thank you, guys. You can grab your seats. Walking on sunshine. That's what he did. The teddy bear's name was Sunshine, so he threw it down and he stepped on that thing. And uh, so I learned that that's how you treat your sister. But here's the thing. When we dance something happens and I believe that God is calling us into a cosmic dance, a dance that he tells us through the book of Romans and I'll explain what that means and hopefully by the end of the message you will know how to dance because it looks like some of you didn't really know before we started. All right, so let's read Romans chapter 3 starting at verse 21. It says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He has passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are, counted, are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justified the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessings of the one whom God counts righteous, whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and those whom sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So we're learning to dance. And every good dance, or every bad dance, involves two steps. I mean, some of you were kind of standing there with your your feet kind of planted, and you were kind of just moving. But if you're not moving your feet, it's kind of more just a sway, isn't it? You're just kind of swaying, you're just kind of bobbing, you're not really dancing. So you can't have no steps... And even if you just have one step, one step is just a hop, isn't it? So it's only when we start to move both our feet that there's these two different steps that we actually start to dance. 
And in those passages that we have read, there's two big themes, two big concepts that God wants us to know and understand so that we can start to dance. And there may have been some big words in those passages that you didn't understand. It was talking about propitiation and forbearance and justification and all of these things. And you might not know what they mean. Just as you might not know that every dance move has a name. There's a plie, there's a rond de jambe, there's all these different dance moves. But you didn't kind of have to know the name of the move before you did them, did you? As long as you know the moves. And so if we allow God to be our choreographer, if we allow Him to take the lead and tell us where to step and how to step, it may be that we don't really know what we're doing or how we're doing it, but if we can follow Him and His leading and His guiding, then we won't put a foot wrong or out of place. But oftentimes our problem is, just like happened just then, we don't know what to do. We don't know how to take that first step. We kind of stand there, not wanting to look like a fool, not wanting to be a fool, not knowing where to step or how to step that first time. And so we get stuck standing where we are and where we have always been. But where we are and where we have been may not be the best place to stay or be stuck. So we need to learn these moves. So I'm going to tell you the two moves and then we're going to unpack them. So dancing the Roman road, step one is repentance through redemption. And step two is justification through propitiation. And as I said, you may not know what those words mean right now, but together we're going to learn the steps. Together we're going to learn what it looks like to move and live our life stepping in the way that God is telling us and the places that God is telling us to step. And some of you may go, well, Josh, even the word repentance, that's a, that's a big word, and that actually wasn't even in the text that you read. And so we want to sort of fight against it. God's not telling us to repent, is He? And so quite often, the whole world actually fights against repentance. It's the first step and yet we don't want to take it. Because in order to repent, in order to put our foot down, it actually means that we're taking a stand against sin. We're, 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 as Jacob said, we're, we're making a stake in the ground. We're, we're saying that sin is not okay. Repentance is, is turning around, but it's turning around from something and saying that was not okay. But if we're saying that sin is not okay and we've got sin in our life, then we're saying that then we're not okay, so we don't want to do that. 
You see, as we read in the passage and we talked about two weeks ago, there's this understanding that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we kind of go, but sin, we know, we might not know all the names for sin, but we kind of know what it feels like, don't we? We know that that feeling in the pit of our stomach that when we've sinned, that when we've done something wrong, we feel this thing. And even though we might not put the label guilt on it, we feel it. The world feels it. Everybody feels it. And we kind of go, well, I don't like this feeling. I don't want this feeling. So then we come up with different ways of dealing with that feeling. So we think, well, if, if everybody's feeling the same way and everybody is in the same boat all together, if all have, have sinned, then why don't we just all get together and take a vote? Because all of us would vote the same. Because if we're all in the same boat, if we took a vote to say that we're just not going to call it sin anymore, maybe that will help things. Maybe that will change things. We don't want to take a stand against sin because we don't even want to call it sin. So what should we call it instead? Well, if, if sin and guilt make us feel like this, what's a feeling that we do want? If that's a bad feeling, what's a good feeling? A good feeling is acceptance. That's actually what we want. We want acceptance. How do we get acceptance? We get acceptance... Maybe through tolerance. So if we just say that we would tolerate anything, if we focus on tolerance, maybe that'll take away the bad feeling. What's another good feeling? What else? We, we, want, we want love. And love is love. That's a good catch cry. Maybe we should, if we just focus on tolerance and the fact that love is love, maybe that'll take away the bad feeling that we have. But it kind of doesn't work. It, it's kind of like if we've got a skin cancer and we put makeup over the top of it, it makes it so that others can't see it, but it's still killing us. So just relabeling it, just saying that we're all in the same boat, focusing on tolerance, focusing on love is love, doesn't actually solve the problem so then we kind of go okay well if if the first step was repentance and we don't want to do that the second step was was justification if that's where we want to end up maybe we'll just skip the first step and we'll just go straight to the second step we'll go straight to justification Maybe if we can justify our sins, 
that will take away the bad feeling. So how do we justify, how are we going to justify these sins? Maybe if we can change the law. If we change the law saying that same-sex marriage is okay, if we pass a law saying that abortion is okay, if we puff, puff, pass a law saying that smoking marijuana is okay, change the law. We, if the problem is that we're lawbreakers, the, we were all born good, and then the law makes us lawbreakers, so if we do away with the law, maybe that will do away with this bad feeling. Maybe we should follow America's lead and try to defund the police. If we just make it so that nothing is against the law and we don't need any police, then all of society will be so much better off because we don't feel like we've been feeling because... We're all lawbreakers. And if I can just justify my sins, then maybe I'll be justified. Maybe my existence will be justified. Maybe my feelings will be justified. And again, it's easy for us in the church to look at those examples and say, yes, Josh, I agree. All those people out there in the world, they're just trying to justify their sins. But we kind of do it in here too, don't we? How do we justify our sins? What do we say to ourselves before we commit sin to make it seem okay? We don't want to repent of our sins. We don't want to take the first step. We just want to go straight on to the second step and justify things. This week, I uh, went out to the go-kart track out at Taylor Bend. There was only two of us out there on the, on the course. And so I thought, this is a perfect opportunity for me to set my own uh, track Record. I don't have to worry about overtaking people. I don't have to worry about all those slow people that get in the way. And so because there's only two of us out on the track and I've got the, I've got the helmet on and I've got the noise of the, the go-kart in my ears, I don't know if you've ever done this before, but I kind of I start coaching myself. I actually start talking out loud because I'm aware that no one else can hear me. But I kind of know that that's going to help because it's kind of hard as you're approaching a, a, a corner and everything within you tells you to hit the brakes and slow down and, and you know, and, and take it, you know, nicely. That doesn't set lap records. And so I'm telling myself as I'm coming out, I'm speaking to myself and I'm saying, don't break, don't break, don't break, don't break. Take it to the line, take it to the line. I'm speaking this out loud as I'm going around the track. And I think that so many of us do that when it comes to sin. We coach ourselves. We say, don't break. Take it to the line. Go as fast as you can. Go as hard as you can. Do, do as much as you can. We, we coach ourselves. 
we say things to ourselves to justify our sin like everybody does it. Everybody else is doing it. That's one of the catchphrases that we like to use to coach ourselves to the line, to coach ourselves not to break. Everybody else is doing it. Well, I don't pay for it. I don't go searching it out, but if it comes across my path, well, then at least I haven't paid for it. At least I, I didn't go looking for it. Or I wouldn't have to yell if she would just listen to me. Or we say things like, well, it, it was my money anyway. I pay so much tax to the government through the year. If I just do things this way, I'm just getting some of my own money back. And so we justify our sin. We coach ourselves into it. There's things that we say how do you justify your sins how are you coaching yourself to make it seem like that it's okay well I'll go but I won't drink I'll I'll drink, but I won't get drunk. I'll, if I get drunk, I won't drive. And we coach ourselves closer and closer to that line, justifying our sins. You see, thinking and acting this way is not something new. We call it postmodern. But Paul was dealing with this exact thing in the church in Rome 2,000 years ago, nothing has changed. We all still want to justify our sins. We're trying to justify our existence because none of us want to take the first step of repentance, of taking a stand against sin, before we then go on to justification, not justifying our sin, but instead justifying our existence. It's a dance because you can't take the second step until you first take the first step. People spend their whole lives trying to justify themselves, trying to justify their existence, trying to justify their sins. They try to take the second step before the first. But sin is sin not because of the label, not because of the law, not because of anything like that. Sin is sin because of the consequences that it brings. And a loving God will not let us try to justify that destruction. He will actually come in and say, this is not okay. I don't want you to live this way. You need to take a stand against sin. And that's what repentance is. Change the name, change the law, 
make it socially acceptable, it doesn't change the consequences. Philosophy asks this question. Maybe you've heard it before. It's a famous question in philosophy. They say, if a tree falls in the woods and no one is around to hear it, does it make a sound? Anyone heard that question before posed in philosophy? Have you ever thought how narcissistic, how self-centered that is? But that is kind of the philosophy of our age. If it doesn't hurt anyone, if no one's witness to it, is it really sin? Is it really bad? And so all these philosophers, they thought that they were, they asked this question of Albert Einstein. Because they thought, well, Albert Einstein, he's like, you know, at the time, he was supposedly the smartest man that was around. And they kind of knew that he knew facts. He knew numbers. And they kind of thought that this would stump him, that he would, you know, that as we all try and do, we try to move beyond facts and we try to move into this realm of philosophy and we try to work out ways that what's, you know, what's applicable to you is applicable to you and it's different to someone else. And so they asked him this question thinking that he wouldn't be able to answer it. But he saw how ridiculous this question was and he answered it by, by saying, are you seriously saying that the moon would fail to shine if I stopped looking at it. He dismissed the question as, as totally ridiculous. Of course it makes a sound. And so we can think that that question is ridiculous, but we ask God the same question every day, just reworded. We say, if I sin in the dark places of my life and no one sees it, will it ever be found? If I can, if I can cover over my sins, if I can create enough darkness around my, my sin and, and I can hide it well enough, is it really sin? If I can relabel it or repackage it or change the law or do something, will that take it away? but it's the wrong question. You see, the, the question shouldn't be, does it make a sound? Instead, we should be looking at the death and destruction that comes because the tree fell. And it's the same thing with our sin. Change the label, change the law. When we fall, God is saying it brings death. It brings destruction. Not only to you, but to those closest to you, those in that path when the tree comes crashing down. Does anyone remember a TV show, Family Matters, and a guy called Steve Urkel? Anyone remember that, that TV show? Yeah, I see some hands going up. He was this kind of nerdy guy, and he had a couple of, uh, of sayings, and one of them was, 
Did I do that? Do you remember him saying that? We kind of need to do that over our sin. But another saying that he had was, I've fallen and I can't get up. I think that's what we actually need to say. That we've fallen. We've fallen in our sin. That just like that tree came crashing down. That there's people in our life that have been in the way when our sins have come crashing down we've fallen and we can't get up on our own and we don't know how to do it we don't know how to how to handle it but God comes and he picks us back up we've fallen and we can't get up but he can lift us up he can pick us up place us back on our two feet so that we can take a stand against sin. Say that it is not okay. Paul, in one of his other letters in Second Corinthians, says it this way. He says, For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience. God want us to be sorrowful? Does he want to bring sorrow into our life? The kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. As long as we keep stepping towards sin, as long as we keep allowing it, we cannot step towards salvation. So that step of repentance, that taking a stand against sin is the only thing that actually is going to lead us into that direction of salvation. There is no regret in that kind of sorrow. We can have sorrow without regret. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. There is no other way, there is no other option. Without repentance, the path that we're going down will inevitably lead to death. Now, some of the adults in the room might not want to admit this, but did anyone ever play a game when you were little like I played called The Floor is Lava? Anyone ever play that game? So for those that didn't play that game, basically what happens is someone yells out, The Floor is Lava! And then what you have to do is you have to find somewhere... so. Everything that's on the floor is lava, and so you have to run and find somewhere that you can stand. Because the floor is lava. And I think what Paul is trying to say in this book of Romans is the floor is lava. And the only place to stand is repentance. The only place to stand is redemption because if we try to stand on legalism which as the church we're kind of very good at we like to try to make laws and do different things all that's doing is making the lava hotter we've still got nowhere to stand there's more consequences there's there's more things and so 
the floor is lava and we're just increasing the heat, we're increasing the law. And so legalism doesn't help us avoid the flame, avoid the fire. We're still going to get burnt because all have sinned. But likewise, taking away the law doesn't help either because it's still hot and we've still got nowhere to stand. Now we've got nothing to stand upon and so we're still in that place. And so we need to run with all that we are worth for this place of repentance. It's not something to fear. It's not something to worry about. We should run and run and run as fast as we can and place our feet solidly on the repentance that God gives us through redemption. He sets our feet on a solid rock. He takes us to a place that is higher than I. He, he, he takes us from the miry clay and He redeems us. He allows us to stand in and through repentance. So we don't run from repentance, we run to it, just like a kid playing that game. We don't avoid it, we don't try and step over it, we don't try and go on to the next thing. We need to run. Step one is repentance through redemption. We need it so desperately. Then once we've got that sorted and understood, once we've decided that we are going to take a stand against sin, that's our step one of our dance. We've, we've kind of got that. We've repented. But now there's step two. And it seems like in the passage that the first little part that I read was talking all about those big words and justification and, you know, all of those big words and then the second part was talking about Abraham and it seems like it's taken this twist and we don't know then what's this next step that God is calling us to but remember who remembers what our second step was justification justification so Abraham is obviously somehow our model for justification and it's not because he was perfect It's not because he got everything right. In fact, he, the very text is saying that he didn't actually get everything right. Let's have a read again of verse 3 that we read earlier. It says, Abraham believed in, trusted, relied on God, and it was credited to his account as righteousness, as right living, as right standing. So that's our next step, right standing with God. How do we get that right standing with God? How do we get justification? How do we, how do we get that? If the first step was admitting that we're sinners, admitting that we're not holy, that we're not righteous, that we need to take a stand against sin and against the way that things have been going, how can we then stand in righteousness and justification. Abraham gives us this clue as to how it happened. 
and it can be confusing. So I want to, I guess, explain again uh, visually, if, if that's okay. Can I get Stefani and Jacob, can I get you two to, to come up the front here? And uh, Jacob, I'll get you to stand on, on this side. And uh, you're going to be the Bank of Australia. <laughs> and you're going to stand on this side, Stefani, and you're going to be, uh, that's uh, Cambodian money. So you're going to be the Bank of, of Cambodia. Now, um, up on the screen, I think we've got a picture of one of these Travelex credit cards. Anyone ever had one of these before? They kind of call them credit cards, but they're not really credit, they sort of work like a credit card, but it's, it's sort of a little bit different, and they're very handy for, for travelling. And so I want to explain what, how this works, and then hopefully we'll see how uh, Abraham is our example of how this justification works. So we live in Australia. When we go to work, we can earn money. So give me a little bit of money. We can earn money. And the money that we earn in Australia is Australian money. And so the only thing that I can earn, I'm going to do another bit of work, and so I'm going to get a little bit more money. And so we can work and we can do whatever, but the only thing that we're going to get in Australia is Australian money. But then with one of these TravelX credit cards, we can go to the bank, we can deposit the Australian money onto the card. Then when I go overseas... When I get to Cambodia, the first thing that I need to do in order to even enter the country in the first place is I have to buy a visa. But you have to buy a visa with the local currency. My Australian money isn't going to work there. They're not going to accept it because we're not in Australia anymore. So I need to go there and the money that I deposited in Australia, then I can withdraw and take out the Cambodian money, purchase the visa and get into the country. And it depends on if I went to Philippines, if I went to America, depending on where I go, depends on what I extract out. The currency that I get out is based on the location that I'm going to. And here's the way that this works, and I need you to, to capture this, because what so many people do is they stand over here and, and they work, and they work really hard to, to make money. And so we're, we're working hard and we're, we're getting money, and, and we're working really hard. We, we, we serve and we, we do things, we help other people. We're trying to justify our existence over here. But God says, you never, doesn't matter how hard you work, doesn't matter what you do, because you are working here, you can only ever make the currency of here. That there is nothing that you can do to earn even one dollar of righteousness in your own strength. But, but where we want to go, 
is here. We, we want to be in God's presence. We want the visa. We want to be allowed in to the presence of God. So we work and we strive and we, we do all this stuff and we, we, we sit there and we wonder, am I good enough? Do I have enough? Have I made enough to get into the presence of God? To get to where I want to go, to take that second step that I need to take into acceptance, into love, into all these things that I've been trying my whole life to get to. But God is saying, it doesn't matter how hard you work, it doesn't matter what you do here, you can't earn righteousness. You can't earn justification. That when you come into my presence, when that's where you want to get into, I'll let you draw out what you need for the place that you're going. You can't earn justification, you can't earn righteousness. He says through Abraham, I will allow you to sow in faith, to sow in belief, to deposit that and draw out that. Stop striving, stop working, stop doing everything over here. This is not where you belong. This is not where you want to get to. What you want and what you need is there. And then there's this whole thing of currency conversion and you know if we if we work here like i think the the current going rate for the uh, the pesos in in philippines you put in one dollar here and you get 37 pesos so you need to work and earn 37 pesos to make one australian dollar in cambodia that money looks like a lot of money that Stefani has there, but it's 3,150 pesos, uh, sorry, real, makes one Australian dollar. So what's the conversion rate? Thanks, guys. You can grab your seats. What's the conversion rate? How much work, how much faith and belief do I need to have in order to pull out Enough for the visa that I need to get into the presence of God. And again, the story of, of Abraham tells us the answer. You see, Abraham was told by God to take his son Isaac up to this mountain called Mount Moriah and sacrifice his son there. And when he was willing to do that, this was God's response. In Genesis 22, he said, Do not lay your hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, because you've withheld, you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. So the conversion rate is not 3,150 to 1. It's not 37 to 1. It's one-to-one. -one. 
And you might think, this is, this is great news, Josh. And yes, it is great news until you understand what you have to put in. And I wish that I could be one of those preachers that just gets up and preaches faith messages and say, you're acceptable to God just as you are. Just have faith. God's going to come through for you. I wish I could do that. But you know, the difference between me and God is God doesn't wish that it was any different than the way that he set it up. Because what this propitiation means, what the word means, is that it is a straight one-for-one swap. There's no currency conversion. There's no fees or charges. You're not going to lose anything. But if what you want to get out on this side is life, a life of intimacy with God, if what you want to get out is life, then what you have to give is life. That's why Abraham was able to be credited with righteousness because he was willing to give the life of his son. That was the cost. I find it interesting that people use that term, love is love, to try and justify sin by saying you just need to follow your feelings. That's what love is. Proving that they know nothing about what love actually is because love is nothing about a feeling. Love demands action. Love comes at a cost. And depending on how much you're willing to give will depend on how much you love something. And so because Abraham was willing on Mount Moriah to give up his son, God can say, now I know. Do you find it funny? If we can have that scripture back up. Do you find it funny that God actually says, now I know? I mean, doesn't he know everything doesn't he exist outside of time so he should now know nothing that he didn't know before and there should be nothing that can be known that he doesn't already know how can he make this statement now i know but i think maybe what he's saying he's saying something to us he's saying now i want you to know something It's, it's a foretelling of what is to come because Abraham didn't give his only son. Isaac was not his only son. He's not talking about Abraham. He's talking about himself. He, he's saying what we should say. He, he wants us to now know. Because on that exact same mountain, it was called Mount Moriah. Now we know it as Mount Calvary. The exact same place. But there was no one to 
to take Isaac's place. When, he went up, when Abraham went up there with Isaac, there was a ram with its head caught in thistles. And because the Son of God, the only Son of God, had his head put in a crown of thorns and was sacrificed on that very mountain, it was so that you can say this morning, now I know. Not tomorrow, not when you die. Have I done enough? Have I made enough? Can I work enough? Can I do enough? Am I enough? Am I justified by my existence? God wants to settle that question once and for all, for us to say, now I know. Because God, the God of the universe, would withhold nothing from me if he did not withhold his only son that we can be justified in and through what he did upon the cross. Would you like to stand? Because this is the cosmic dance that God is calling us into. Step one is repentance from sin which means we are free to go. Our sins are not counted against us anymore. We're free to go. We should have got death. We should have got shame. We should have got condemnation. But now we are free to go. And that seems like it should be the greatest news ever. And that's often where most Christians sit up camp. They just take that one step and they think it's all about repentance. And it's all about just coming back to God and sinning again and coming back to God and and doing all that. And the fact that we are free to go is everything. But then step two, Paul calls us gloriously into this dance. There is another step. Because justification by faith means that we are free to come. You're free to come into his presence. You don't have to step back. You don't have to work worrying, will I, will I get my visa? Will I be accepted into the presence of God? Am I enough? Have I done enough? Right now, today, you are free to come. You're free to come into His presence. Don't step away. Don't step back in fear. The dance moves are very simple. We take a stand against sin and we take a step towards Christ knowing that He accepts us because of that currency conversion, because He sees us not as we are, not as we were, but He sees us as Christ that he was that lamb that was sacrificed on that hill for us. Now you can know, church. Now you can know. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this dance, this beautiful dance that you're calling us into. We thank you that you have redeemed us through repentance.
And so, Lord, we want to repent. We want to run like those kids playing the floor is lava. We want to run to repentance for all that we are worth, knowing that you have redeemed us. Father, this morning, all of us in this place, I pray, no matter how they feel, no matter what they've done, no matter what their past is, all of us this morning will take a step towards you, knowing that you have justified us, that you have made a way, that you have given us, you've stamped that visa and said, welcome into my presence. Come and be with me this morning. Come and be with me now. Lord, we've been so fearful. We've been so worried. We've been so anxious. We've been striving so hard, trying to to justify our own existence. But Lord, right now, we see that we do not need to be afraid anymore. We do not need to work anymore. We simply need to step towards you, to come into your presence because in your presence, we get to draw out justification. We get to draw out righteousness. We get to draw out holiness. Thank you for joining us this week. If you wish to connect with us, please send an email to info at life.house or come and see us at 170 Adelaide Road, Murray Bridge. And remember, the door is always open for you at Lifehouse. God's house, our home.